0: Hey, how's it going out there everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as I do each week. This is episode 56. I hope you're all having a great week out there. Uh, Just so excited to bring you the interview that I have for you today. We are going to be joined in just a moment by the great Mike Johnston of mikeslessons.com. So please stay tuned after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the U.S., Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center, or heart, of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And don't forget to ask for Lost Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Lost Cabos Drumsticks. All right, everybody. As I mentioned earlier, we are going to be joined here in just a moment by Mike Johnston of MikesLessons.com, the co host of the Modern Drummer podcast and just tons of great stuff that Mike has going on out there. And, um, you know, Mike is just such a nice guy and always, uh, it's just always inspirational and uplifting to hear what Mike has to say. He is one of the premier educators of our instrument and has just a ton of great experience and knowledge. And he really opened up during this interview. Uh, We did this right back, uh, right after the first of the new year. So it's it's a few weeks old, but... Uh, He did spend a lot of time with us and just answered literally every question that that I had. So we were really fortunate to get Mike on the show. So without any further introduction, let me introduce to everybody Mike Johnston of Mike'sLessons.com. Hey, good afternoon, Mike. How's it going?
1: It is going very well, my friend. How are you doing?
0: Man, I'm doing good. I can't complain at all. We uh, we made it through the holidays. Um, you know, things nice. are great. So uh, thanks for taking time to come on the Drum Shuffle. I really do appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. It's an honor. Thank you.
0: So, Mike, um, what we typically do here on the Drum Shuffle, uh, if you're familiar with the show, we go back to the very beginning. Um, I, I want to at least give our listeners who may not know where you grew up and all that good stuff. Give us the, the the Reader's Digest version of a young Mike Johnston growing up and ending up behind a drum set.
1: Yeah, um, I was born in Southern California, so in Santa Monica, but all of my memories are from Northern California. I, I moved here with my parents when I was about five years old. And then I think I got my first drum set right around five or six. I it kind of co um, it happened with me getting into school band. Tried to play clarinet, I was really bad at it. The band director moved me back to the drum set or to the drumming area where I played bass drum for a while. And uh, then I just kind of enjoyed it. And, and my dad really supported it. My mom supported it. Um, by that time, my parents were divorced, and so I got a drum set and put it at mom's house in the living room and. That was kind of the beginning of everything, but I I will say it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s that I considered myself a drummer. So even though I've been playing since I was five, I was so bad at it, and I was taking private lessons the whole time. I was so bad at it that it was never something I could ever consider attaching to my name. Like, I'm a drummer. It was like, well, clearly compared to everyone else, I'm really bad at this, so I'm just a guy that owns a drum set and struggles.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that sounds a lot, uh, a lot like me with the game of golf. I play golf, but I'm not a golfer. (laughs) You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Uh,
1: Yeah, Golfing is, I I think one of the most analogous things to drumming that I can ever think of. I played golf as well for a long time and it's so similar. And the one thing I always remember was being out on the course and seeing a guy that's maybe in his, you know, mid to late sixties, just struggling and then finding out that he's been playing since he was 15. I'm like, wow, man, you are 45 years deep into this and you still can't hit a white ball straight. Yeah, And that that just made me think, yeah, that's kind of how I feel on the drum set sometimes. Yeah, well, I mean, for
0: sure. And I think we all have those, you know, that one thing that we struggle with, you, you know, I mean, as as musicians, oh, as drummers, I mean, there are just certain things that, that some guys do great that that I can't do at all. So I just kind of avoid that. You know, I still work on it, but I avoid it. Sure. I don't do it in front of people.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree, man. And I think that's part of it. And that's what makes the drumming community such a community is the fact that we all have strengths and weaknesses, but we really appreciate the strengths of someone else instead of despising them for their strengths. It's like, oh, If I could just have your left hand, just give me your left hand. That's so cool. And it's weird that other instruments don't seem to have that. The camaraderie is not there in guitar, bass, uh, definitely not with singers. I mean, the things that we do as a drumming community, I never see those same events happening for guitar or for anything else. And I think there's a mindset that goes into being a drummer, which is, uh, first of all, you're going to be in the back of the stage. Your monitor will never work. There will be a hot light on the back of your neck the whole time from the stage. And you just kind of go into it knowing like, all right, well, that's that's my role in this situation. And those, those mindsets and those attitudes, the people that adopt this instrument know going in, you're going to be in the back of the stage. You're never going to be the hero. You're never going to be the star. But you're going to provide a very supportive role. Well, those people end up being supportive people. So the drum co- community just is unlike anything else in the world, really.
0: You, well, I mean, from your lips to God's ears, as we say down here in the South, I mean, it's so true. <laughs> and, and I mean, it almost sounds like you've listened to every episode of the drum shuffle. It really does, because we talk oh. about this all the time on this show. Um, you know, I recently went down to, um, to Nashville for the Nashville drummers jam. There was a big tribute to Joey Kramer and just a who's who of the nashville drumming community on that bill wow and it was you know backstage it was like everybody's catching up everybody's having a good time and you know everybody the big joke was you will never see the nashville guitarist community do this ever
1: no no i mean it's it's crazy and and i don't quite i still don't understand it i mean i grew up playing in bands, so i've always had musicians as friends. And and obviously in a band situation, no one's competitive with each other. But it was always odd to me when my guitarist or bass player or whoever would act shocked when they would find out I was going over to a buddy's house to meet up with three or four other drummers to jam just on the drum set. And the, and, and to me, I'm going, don't you have any guitar buddies? Go hang out at their house. Like, how do you learn about new gear? I mean, obviously, now, everything is very instant on our phone and on our tablets and everything. That's fine. But when I was 15 to 20, the way you learned about new gear was you went to somebody's house and they happened to have the Pearl Eliminator, but you had the DW4000 or whatever it was. And, and it was just a chance to be like, oh, so this is the Pearl Export with the 10-inch add-on Tom. Sweet. And, uh, and I, I still love that. I always try to have drum hangs at my studio here in Folsom, California.
0: Well, I mean, I think it's a fantastic thing. And, and you're right. You and I are, I think there's probably nine months difference between us. Um, so wow. we're, we're of the same vintage. And I can remember, you know, growing up in Kentucky is a little bit different than, than California, certainly. Sure. But, you know, when somebody would go to the big music store in Cincinnati, they would grab all the Ludwig catalogs, all the Pearl catalogs, yeah. all the Yamaha catalogs. Oh. And it was just like catalogs yeah the best. yeah we would get together and just geek out and go oh my god the the blue double bass yamaha kit that that's what i want right. it looks like tommy aldrich yeah. you know so i mean growing up and the
1: dang catalogs never had any prices you couldn't you couldn't like put a, a paper route on it and go okay two more years of my paper route and i get that it's just like I don't know. I don't even know where you would find that. And, you know, we had no online shops, obviously, because the internet wasn't around. And so you couldn't order it. And you just had to hope that your music store would someday get one in for you to check out in person. Those are things that I still refuse to give up. When I go into a clinic at any drum shop in the world, I specifically just take like 15 to 20 minutes to walk around like a kid and just be like, oh, I've never seen a dream symbol rack in person. This is awesome. I'm gonna hit every one of these. I don't care who I'm endorsed by. This is awesome. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit it. I'm gonna check out these joyful noise snare drums, and you know I love that stuff. And I don't ever want to lose that because it, it's. I think that that stuff, the wonderment of gear, of gear can get you through the downtimes of of like not enjoying the drum set, maybe being a little depressed, or just in a what I call when my my personal inspirational tide is out. My tide comes in, I'm inspired. My tide goes out. I couldn't care less about the drums and I'm very comfortable with that in and out because it's been happening my whole life. But a lot of times gear is what gets me back into it. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, you, you mentioned, you know, my symbol guys dream, you know, I, am a dream artist and I can, and I, and I can tell you right now, those guys are the same way when they walk into a drum store. (laughs) You know what I mean? They're hitting everything. Yeah. They're like, oh, man, what are the minor guys up to? Because you're, you're a minor guy, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, so, I mean, that's what's cool about it, you know, whereas you would probably never see a Fender rep checking out the new Les Paul. Oh I mean, no.
1: I mean, they can't contaminate their hands with that.
0: Exactly. But, you know,
1: but and it's, it's a, it's, it's something that, like I said, the drum industry is unique in that way. And it's something that I gave all of my endorsement to heads up about very early on, which was, or especially when I was changing endorsements, like just so you know, I'm going to be, I'm hundred percent a Gretsch artist, but I love drums and my students love drums. So I will always be buying other gear and learning about other gear just so that I'm up to date with things. And if, if what my student needs isn't, you know, if Gretsch doesn't make that, I'm sorry, I'm going to tell them what is made in that price range. And, and just, and that honesty will then eventually bring them back around. When I, when I do finally recommend a Gretsch something, they know it's honest because the last two things I told them to get were from DW or Tama or Pearl or whoever.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. And, and, you know, here's, what's cool about it. Um you know, I met Andrew Shreve at Summer Nam. Yeah. I just walked up, shook hands, said, Hey, you know, checking out their new stuff in the in the you know, Summer Nam, the Nashville Nam booth or whatever. Super guy. You know, I, I think Oh he's great. Yeah. I mean, but I think that's the thing about just even the drum manufacturing industry, like the Remo guys and the Evans guys were hanging out having coffee at Nam. It's like, right. th- this is the only time we're in the same room. And for whatever reason, and I can't quite, you know, write a thesis on it, but it's different with other instruments. You know, it just is. Um, it- it's Absolutely. cool. It's just cool.
1: No, we're very, we're very lucky. And the other thing that I think we have that the other industries don't have is the disparity between the new beginning drummer and the top end pro isn't there. Like the new beginning drummer can walk up to somebody that's been on the cover of Modern Drummer Magazine and start up a conversation and it's just two dudes, you know, or a guy and a girl talking drums and that's it. And, there, you know, we don't have a massive separation. And when you go to NAM, you see Benny Greb talking to anyone that will talk to him and you see Ana is talking to anyone that will talk to her and we're all just a family because we understand like all the only difference between myself and the person that's been playing two years is the hours. But whatever you're going through right now, I went through that in my life. I went through the same frustrations. I went through every pair of drumsticks in the world, feeling foreign in my hands. I went through clamping down the hi hat cymbal so that my foot didn't have to do it. I just sit on a kit and clamp down the clutch and I'm like, cool, now I don't have to deal with that thing anymore. So we're all kind of going through the same stuff and and that makes us family. And I I truly don't understand why other instruments aren't that way, but I'm very happy that we are.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, and we could talk about that all night without a doubt, you know, but, (laughs) you know, case in point, you know, you mentioned the drummer sitting at the back of the stage and and, and all that stuff. One of the quotes that has stuck with me for many, many years, um, I was out in Southern California. I want to say it was probably back in 2006 or so. And I went out to uh, Ricky Rocket's place. He had just started okay. Rocket Custom Drums, and, and, and I don't know yep. that he's still making drums. But he said something to me. He said, if a guitarist has a red guitar, it's because it was $50 cheaper than the blue one you know and he was like drummers being at the back of the stage we pick our gear you know the color of our gear the the way it looks you know we do it just so we can set ourselves apart because we can't move around and i I just always thought that was such a you know a a heady thought that's
1: really cool yeah that's a very that's a very interesting perspective especially from somebody that came up in such a showy time where everything was about the show And then moved into the manufacturing where now he's selling the stuff that he was playing, you know.
0: Absolutely. You know, it's just it's just really cool. So um, growing up, you know, in Northern California, you know, and I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here. But, you you know, you started playing in some pretty well-known bands. You were doing some some recording with these guys. You did a lot of touring as well. Kind of, if you don't mind, walk us through some of that stuff that occurred prior to you setting out as a full-time educator?
1: Yeah, so I was working in a shop. uh, It was called Drum and Guitar City, and I had done retail there since I was 17. And by the time that I was 20 or, I guess, well, I started teaching there when I was 18, but I was full-time teaching about 70 students a week by the time that I was like 20. And I had a local band and we got uh, a record deal, which was not, if you were from Sacramento, that was not something that was in the cards. That only happened in Seattle. So it was not something that you could say, okay, we're going to get signed and we're going to tour. It was like, you were in a band strictly to be in a band, to make music, like, but for no other reason. I guess the dream around here would be to sell out our local theater, which held like 1,200 people. And that would be, Oh, cool. We're a huge band. And then, uh, I remember the Deftones got signed and that was a huge thing for us as a town because we were like, Whoa, one of our bands, actually cake and the Deftones both got signed around the same time. And we thought like, well, those are like legitimate record deals. Like Madonna (laughs) is in charge of the Deftones company because they signed with Maverick. And so it was a really big deal to us. And, but we still never thought it could happen to us. And so when I was 21, that's when we got, um, Uh, our record deal and so at that point I was teaching full-time but I was still young enough that touring was the dream. Being a rock star that was the dream. I actually grew up idolizing Ricky Rocket and Tommy Lee and Alex Van Halen and so I had that imagery stuck in my head that that's what a real drummer does. So, uh, talked to my parents and both of them agreed, like, look, you can teach for the rest of your life. You can go to college whenever you want. I did, you know, when you're young, you think like, well, no, you have to be 18 to get into college. So like, no, you can go back at 46. It's fine. Um, but they said, but this thing, this will not come, come along very often. So, uh, cause I'm so, okay, so I'm going to do this. So, uh, sign the record deal with Hollywood Records, which was owned by, Disney, not influenced by Disney, but as far as being a massive label, they had Disney's money. So it was as big as any label in the world. And uh, then for the next six years, all I was doing was recording and touring nonstop. And I think what happened in that time was I got a chance to experience every ounce of the drummer's dream. I got to be in the major label studios or the the big studios, uh, Oceanway, Conway, Larrabee East all these things. And then I got to film music videos and got to be on massive tours. I played at the last Woodstock that burnt down when Rage Against the sea or when Limp Bizkit went on. Uh, so, I mean, I really got a good bird's eye view of, okay, this is the life. And there was zero happiness attached to it. And as someone that's a clean living guy, I just had Gatorade and Fig Newtons on the bus with me. It, I wasn't depressed because I was on drugs or drunk, I was 100% sober, and I'm like, yeah, this just isn't what I thought it was going to be. I think the hardest thing for me, to be totally honest, was being away from my drum set for 23 hours out of the day. And then the one hour I got to be on my drum set, I had to play songs verbatim from the album. And that was because I wasn't in like a situation of improvisation. I wasn't playing with Chick Corea. I was playing in a rock band. So every fill had to be what it was from the record, if some kid's going to air drum it with you. And for that to be my only drumming for six years, that was really hard on me. Um, I would come back home from a tour and see some of my drum buddies that were still in Sacramento, and they were so much better than the last time I saw them. And I was exactly as good as I was the last time I saw them. But they had, while I was touring, you know, the U.S. for an album cycle, they'd had 18 months to practice. And I was just so bummed, so there was that going on that I could tell wasn't making me very happy. And then there was also the fact that I could just tell that I missed teaching so, so much. And so, uh, six years into it of touring and two, uh, albums down, I finally just said, okay, I think that's it. I'm going to go back to becoming a private trump instructor in Sacramento. And that was it.
0: So, and I want to kind of put a bow on this if I can, but you know, recently we had Tyler's our uh, on the show mm. and of course Tyler is just he's doing all kinds of great stuff out there he he's touring with yeah. you know like three different pop Everyone. groups uh, yeah he's touring with everybody and <laughs> you know had an amazing run as a tech you know he tech for Aaron Spears sure. and, and all this Aaron, stuff yeah. but he uh, you know he said when I was taking lessons I was taking them from this guy that that you know taught at the local music store and his name was Mike Johnston so <laughs> Which I thought was really cool. He was like, it was before Mike had built, you know, his teaching empire. He was just teaching at a store. Um, do you have other students like that that are out there just burning down the world now?
1: I do. And it's it's so fun to see that happen. Uh, I mean, Tyler, he was one of those ones that I started teaching him as a kid. And then, I mean, like, I don't know, 13 or 14 years old, like a child. And then all of a sudden that thing happens when you're a private drum instructor where your students are a senior in high school and they're thinking about what to do with the rest of their lives and i remember him saying like i I think i'm going to go to la and go to musicians institute and i just thought dude you're perfect for it like obviously i had tons of talented drum students but tyler was the full package i'm like you have a great attitude you morph your look into whatever the hippest style of the time is because i've been teaching for like five or six years by that time so i'd seen him go through different style variations so i'm like you you look always like the time whatever's happening that's your look so you have that and you're one of the just coolest nicest human beings on the planet who wouldn't want to be on a bus with you for you know six or seven months out of the year And you're a fantastic drummer and a hard worker. So, so yeah, so I I definitely enjoyed seeing that. And Tyler actually just recently came back to drum campus last year. And it was so great to finally work with him, not as a kid, but to be like, okay, now we're peers. Let's see if we can take you to that next level. So that was a lot of fun. But, yeah, I have quite a few students that have done that and have done things. You know, I see them go, I'm like did you just get nominated for a Grammy? Like, wow, that's way past me. And, uh, things like that. And then I had one of my biggest dreams of all time as an educator was that someday I could be in the front row of a clinic by one of my students because, you know, my students attend my clinics and I wanted to be there. I wanted it to come full circle. And a couple of years ago, I was doing a drum festival in Canada in Nanaimo and One of my online students and somebody that had been to three or four drum camps, he was actually a drummer on that festival as well. And it wasn't because I pulled any strings. I had no idea about it. And so I got there and I was like, oh, my gosh, it's actually happening. I sat in the front row. He was actually they actually backlined the gear. My kit was in front of him when he started performing. And while he was performing his first song, I started stripping my kit off the stage Everyone was trying to stop me. I'm like, I don't I we need to see him. We need to see him. This is amazing. So his name's Spencer Bowman. And he's a fantastic, fantastic drummer. So, yeah, I mean, it's been really fun to watch these students grow. And like I say, surpass me, too. See, I
0: I I can't imagine anything more rewarding than that uh, of knowing that, you know, I planted some of these seeds at least and then seeing that stuff come and bear fruit in a, in a very difficult industry. Let's face it. You know, I mean, you, you brought up a really good point in that when you're out on the road, you're touring, you're playing the same 25 songs every night for a year that, that can get old hat in a hurry. Um, You know, so when you went back to teaching, um, I'm curious, you know, did you just wake up one day and say, look, I am going to start this massive online teaching presence. Uh, I'm going to have to go out and buy some really nice cameras. I mean, how did you, how did the idea of Mike's lessons.com, how did that germinate with you?
1: No, I mean, I I wish that's what I would have thought. The way that I, that it actually happened. I think at some point I realized while touring and everything that My favorite part of every day was getting other drummers from whatever tour I was on onto our bus and teaching them something, anything at all. Like, oh, do you guys know about polyrhythms? Well, let me show you. And so I thought, okay, this this is what I'm meant to do. So I went back. I was teaching at a different store at this time called Skips Music. And that's where I was teaching Tyler and a bunch of other students. And then I think what happened was I opened my own school after that, which was called the Drum Lab uh, I I realized I couldn't work under a boss. So I left skips music, um, which by the way, they were amazing to me. I just, I was, I'm too much of an only child to have a boss. Um, so (laughs) I opened my own school, which is called the drum lab. And I realized I'm as bad at being a boss as I am at having a boss, because I can't understand how people aren't as passionate about education as me. And it's quite frustrating. Um, so I was losing friends quite quickly as a boss. And then while that frustration was taking place, really technology is what pushed me into it. Uh, being a consumer of other things is what, I guess, turned or like kind of rang the bell for me. So in 2005, two things happened almost simultaneously. There was, well, I don't really know the date, but I, around 2005, I was getting very used to using iTunes. And that was a new system of buying a song instead of an entire CD, which was very new to us. Like you always had to go to the record shop or the CD store and buy a CD, put it in your car, hate it and realize you just wasted $17 to get one song. (laughs) Right. iTunes gave us the ability to preview the music, which was insane. And we got to just buy the songs we wanted. So that was a big thing for me that was going on in the background of my head And then also YouTube had launched in late 2005. They hadn't been acquired by Google yet. So they were a very underground company right in the beginning. But to me, I found them early on. And to me, they were like, they were just free storage for my video content that I was making for my students. So I just, to me, it was like Dropbox. It's like, oh my gosh, you guys will store videos for free. That was so expensive at that time, like storage. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so those two things happened at the same time. And that's when I just thought, okay. I'm sick of buying a $45 DVD where I can't possibly learn this in the next three years. It's so much content. Why instead of buying the, I don't know, the Latin workshop DVD, why can't I just buy the Mambo? Like I just want to learn that that's going to take me two months and instead I have to buy this massive thing. And so I thought I think I'm going to make iTunes for drummers. I'm going to sell them, the chapters that would have been on my DVD, I'm going to sell them the chapters by themselves. And that's how it kind of all started. And then that culminated with the fact that I was making videos for YouTube with a very inexpensive camera, like JVC camcorder that goes on your shoulder with a videotape in it. And, uh, it all just kind of came together at the same time. The only problem was I couldn't afford to have the website made. So I had the idea for it, but I couldn't afford it. So, um, we had a two shake rule at our house, uh, which was if I could shake my wife twice in bed without her waking up, I was allowed to leave the bed and then go do whatever I want. <laughs> so I would go into the office and I just took online classes until, you know, from 10 PM till 2 AM every day or every night. And, I uh, learned web development, learned action script, which at the time, because all the websites were flash based, uh, learned graphic design and UI and all that. And then, Made the first Mike's lessons. I made the first two or three coms myself, and then eventually Web just kind of passed me up, and I had to get an actual developer.
0: So, I mean, first of all, wow, you know, and the old adage is true, you know, present a problem to a drummer if you want it solved, right? I mean, nice, yeah, you know, so. I almost called my wife, Lisa, over here to hear what you were saying about the two shake rule, you know, because that is just so uh, hilarious that, I mean, it's very true. I go to bed and I'm thinking about something that is related to my career as a musician and it will keep me awake at night and I just have to get yeah, out of bed and do something about it. You know, I can't just...
1: Yeah, so. <laughs> You can't Sorry let it count, go. But yeah, so the, the weird rule that we had, well, the, my reasoning was, if I'm in bed with you when you fall asleep, and I'm in bed with you when you wake up, then technically, we slept in bed together. You, the, Your right. brain has no idea that I left in the middle of that, and all I'm doing is going to the next room to talk to this chick named Linda.com, <laughs> who's going to teach me how to do everything, right. um, and so... So yeah, so that was the deal Is like I was in bed every night at nine thirty when my wife goes to bed really early and I'd you know read or I'd watch you know something on TV and then at some point I'd look over and she was asleep and I'd just give her a little nudge and if she didn't move, give her another nudge then I was allowed to leave and and go try to build what I thought would be our future and I was very lucky that I had a very supportive wife who you know, we've never had a loan. We've never had investment. So we've always done things on our own with our own savings and just said, okay, uh, can't, you know, I remember asking her, I, I'm going to try to do this thing. I'm going to make iTunes for drummers. I'm going to try to teach drum set on the internet because it's scalable. And right now I'm maxed out with students. It skips music and it's not scalable. I will never be able to grow financially in any way, not to mention, I can't even grow like spiritually because I can't teach more people. I can only teach the amount of people I'm teaching. I want to teach thousands of people, um, if not tens of thousands. And so uh asked her if we could just risk it all and take our life savings and put it into this thing, uh, MikeSussles.com, and she was all for it. Uh, and so I, I'm very lucky to have that support.
0: Yeah, that's amazing, and you know, I I, ha, I have had the great fortune over the past week or so to to work with your wife and getting all this set up and scheduled mm, because great. you're a busy guy. So so kudos to to her for helping us uh, get this done. So thank you, Amber. Absolutely. Um. So I have to ask the question, and I it, look. This show is all positivity. We want to put positive vibes out into the universe. Not trying to get you to say anything bad about anybody out there, but you know there are others now that have these great online drum curriculum you know for for everybody you know it's it, sure. it, there's thousands of them potentially you know everybody on youtube i mean if you seriously if you search youtube for any john bonham drum fill there's like 8000 videos of each guy's interpretation <laughs> of it do you ever right. do you ever look at that stuff and go man you know i started all this i mean do
1: do you have <laughs> <laughs> no that would be an awesome candid video to show up on instagram with me just checking out other people's videos and be like damn right i started that no i don't have that moment um i am extremely excited so the thing is micsflossens.com is really a it's a version of what i wanted Dave Weckel and Vinnie Caliuta to do for me. I, when I started com, I really started it way too early as far as my own skill set. I, I wasn't, yeah, definitely wasn't the drummer I am today, but I was sick of waiting around for someone else to do what I wanted as a student. I thought, okay, I travel a lot. Um, I don't always have even the money for private lessons, sometimes private lessons, especially if you're taking advanced private lessons with a specialty teacher, they're very expensive. And so I wanted Vinny and Dave to make, you know, daveslessons.com and Uh which is awesome that Dave has that now. That's really cool because that was my original dream. Uh, but yeah, so when, when that started happening, I, you know, maybe five or six years ago and I started seeing people doing what I was doing, I think the only thought I ever had was first of all, why are you doing this? Are you doing this as an easy way out? Cause if you are, I have no respect for you. I promise you this is way harder than anything else in the drum world. Like just sitting in a room all day, talking to a camera, editing your own footage, uploading it, uh, trying to create curriculums. It's not an easy thing to do, or I wouldn't say it's harder, but it's as hard as anything else. It's not an easy way out. So why are you doing this? And two, are you doing it with any, any sense of originality? And the people that do that, I am so supportive of them. You know, I, I can think right now, J.P. Bouvet, um, J.P. Bouvet When I see him teach, I think, yeah, there's, there's nothing on his website that I would teach the way he taught it. He taught it with his own flair. He taught it with his own interpretation. And I think that's wonderful. And Juan Carlito Mendoza, same thing. Um, and so when I see stuff like that, I'm very, if anything, I'm kind of proud that I was part of the early beginnings of that. But but really, like I said, I mean, I, I just admitted that I got my main ideas from, from iTunes. I didn't come up with this stuff. This was where technology was taking us. And I've always... I guess shuddered when people would say like, Oh, you're like my favorite online drum teacher. I was like, Oh God, I'm going to throw up. (laughs) Don't call me an online drum teacher. I'm a drum teacher. I will teach in person, in a drum camp, in a clinic, through a book. I just, we just happen to have the technology right now that's allowing me to teach through the internet, but I'm not an online drum teacher. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a drum educator and that's it. I don't care what the medium is, you know?
0: Well, I mean, I think. You know, the, the Internet has done a lot of things, not just for education or music or, or whatever, but it it allows, you know, we're only two emails away from any other person on Earth. I heard that someplace. Right. right? So, yeah. you know, I Had you put a gun to my head five years ago, hey, you're going to have Mike Johnston on the Drum Shuffle podcast, I would have been like, no way. You know, it's just not going to happen. You know, I had Peter Erskine on the podcast last year. Had you ever told me that I would even speak to Peter Erskine, I would have said, no way. You you know what I mean? So. (sighs) The, the, uh,
1: absolutely. The,
0: the Internet just makes the world smaller. And I think, you know, kudos go to you for figuring out and, and, you know, the whole iTunes for drummers makes sense. But let's break it down into little chunks that people can can get, because, again, you and I are the same age. And I guarantee you, you've got a closet someplace at your house that's full of every VHS drum education video. Yeah. Ever. I mean, we all have those.
1: You know, and I, I've never thought of it this way, but I wonder how much this had an impact on me. My most watched one of those was actually a videotape, a VHS that I got from the store that I was working at when I was 17 or 18. And it was the DCI sampler tape for only for stores. So they could decide which videos they were going to order to sell. But I would watch that from front to back. It was about 35 minutes, and it was like three minutes of every DVD. And it would be Chad Smith right into Johnny Vodakovich, right into uh, Rod Morgenstein. And that was my favorite one because I got so much variety out of it. And I wonder how much of an influence seeing things in bite-sized chunks actually had on me later on in life. Yeah. I mean, We're going deep, bro. Going yeah, deep. Yeah, well, I mean, I
0: just think that was what we could get. You know, besides watching MTV, you know, 20 hours a day and, OK, maybe I can figure out this one fill that, you know, who whoever, Alex Van Halen is doing, right. uh, you know, in this song, you know, those were our outlets. That's how you got that expert level education from your heroes was going to buy their their instructional videos on VHS. Absolutely. It, it was before DVD. Yeah. And, you know, the Rod Morgenstein video that you talk about, I wore out two copies of that one. You know, I mean... Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, that was a sense of pride when the videotape wouldn't rewind or fast forward anymore. And you were like, yeah, I put in the time on this one. That's right. I'm, good. I'm
0: getting someplace. Exactly. So... Yeah. You know, so kudos to you for figuring out a way to get in front of more people because they're, you know, you've got 40 hours in the week that you can teach at the shop. You know, that's, you know, depending on how you're...
1: spurred all of this.
0: Yeah, you've either got 40 students or 80, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I don't need... Money has never been a driving force in my life because as I've been a musician since I was 16 or 17. So you kind of come to terms with the fact that your income is going to fluctuate heavily and i i've i've done the thing where it's like okay i don't know if i can make rent i don't know if my car is going to get repossessed and then two weeks later oh we just signed a record deal and here's a couple hundred k into your checking account it's like wait what and then you realize oh that's supposed to last me for 3 years so now that's you know, after taxes, that's like nothing. And so you just go up and down and up and down. So money's never been a driving force for me, but forward momentum is my driving force. If I'm not moving forward, I freak out. And so when I reached that cap of hours at a music store, that's when I just said like, "I I can't do this. I need to be further along in life, in every aspect of life. I need to be further along next year than I am this year. I cannot stand the thought of running into somebody and when they say, Hey man, what have you been up to? I say, same old, same old. That would that's like the death of me. I can't do that. I wanna say when I see you next year, if if you and I meet at NAM next year, I want you to say, What have you been up to? And I'll be like, Oh man, since I've talked to you, I did this and I changed this and we grew this and and not on a like a, a bragging point, but just like I it's been forward momentum. I've had an impact on the industry that I care about more this year than I have last year. So I'm moving forward. And whatever comes along with that comes along with that.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and you are always moving forward, which is so cool. And, you know, I think as a drummer, one of the things that I love the most uh, are just the little quick hitters that you put out on YouTube, just kind of the fun stuff you know, uh, sure. maybe like a four or five minute long video. And it's like, look, you, d- you don't have to pay me anything for this. This is just something fun that I'm going to shoot. Now, obviously that's a great promo for somebody to sign up for, <laughs> you know, for Mike's but I've gotten a ton out of those. I've been playing, you know, 30 years and, you know, just some yeah, of the ways you break those great. grooves down. It's great for players of any level.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would never make content. There's a couple things I decided early on not to do. And and now, you know, this is kind of transitioning into the business side of things, but one, I decided to never do bait and switch. So it was never going to be 35 seconds of the coolest thing ever. And then fade out to, for more, go to mikeslessons.com. Like I try to gear my business based off of everything that either works in advertising towards me as a, consumer or drives me nuts. So when I would tune into something and they're like, and for more, just go here to get our DVD. I was like, okay, I'm never doing that. That is horrible. So if I was going to make a video for YouTube, it was going to be a full-fledged, I put everything I had into this. But I also, it, it had a sense of levity to it because it's like, look, I didn't charge you for this. So we are just having fun. These are tips and tricks. And so one thing that I try to do with my YouTube videos is they are standalone content. They're not related to any other content and hopefully it just finds you at the right time and you're drumming to be like, Oh cool. I was a little stagnated. This propelled me forward. The other thing is I rarely talk about my website in my videos. It's like, I don't, I don't want all the students. I want the right students. So if my YouTube videos are satisfactory for you, And that's where you're at maybe with free time and everything, stay there. It's all good, I'm totally cool with that. I'm kind of waiting for the day that you watch the video and you go, man, if this is what the free stuff is like, what's it like to pay for the content? What's that content like? And that's when when you then sign up for Mike's that's when I know you're serious about, okay, you're paying money, you're gonna carve some serious time out of your schedule to really get that value back. And make sure that if you're paying, you know, twenty nine ninety nine a month, you better be getting, you know, two or three hundred dollars of value out of that per month to justify it because drummers and musicians in general, we don't give up our money easily. So that's kind of what I try to do with my YouTube videos. And also I just know I just know how much negative crap is around. So I just I want to make sure everybody knows, like, hey, just so you know, we are on the same journey. Like I'm not here in this YouTube video to dominate you. I'm here to motivate you and beg for you to learn this and do something cooler with it than whatever I did so that you can take pride in it. If you just learned exactly what I showed you, you're still playing my groove, but if you change it, then you're playing your groove and then you can take some serious pride in it.
0: Yeah, but that's a great point. And you know, I've said this on this program at least a hundred thousand times, probably I never go see a band I never turn on, you know, access TV or whatever and watch a concert that I don't rip off the drummer in some way, shape, fashion, or form. Totally. That's what we do as, as players is we get great ideas and from people. by ripping
1: them off, you're ripping off the person that they ripped off. I mean, exactly. That's, exactly. That's the whole point of this stuff is to, and then I think it's our responsibility to then move that thing forward. And so, When people always tell me, like, oh, man, that's that's just a bunch of elvenisms. That's a bunch of Tony Williams stuff, if I'm showing somebody a a drummer that I really like. And I think, no, it's not. It it may be rooted in that, but this person, this guy or girl, has taken it many steps further than those people did. So, yes, they're standing on the shoulders of giants. That's the whole point of this, is to move it forward. I heard Robert Glasper talk uh, about... He said something, he was talking about John Coltrane. He said, man, if John Coltrane was alive and knew that we were still playing My Favorite Things, he would freak the heck out. <laughs> like, he'd be so disappointed in the state of jazz that, you know, he was basically cover or calling um, standards, he's like, they're cover tunes. Like, we have to move this music forward. And I'm not making a statement on the state of jazz. I'm the last person to know anything about the state of jazz. Yeah. Right now, but I, I do agree with that, that if I'm going to watch a Weckle video, if I'm watching Back to Basics from the mid nineties or whenever that came out, I, I'm going to watch it and go, okay, I think I could do that. Now, how do I do the mic version of it? You really? know, once I learn the Weckle version of it, what's the mic version? Because there's too many people out there that know the Weckle version. They'll call me out on it. And they'll be like, Oh yeah, Weckelix from Back to Basics. I'm like, oh yeah, you got me. <laughs> yeah, so you have to put your spin on it. And I like I like taking things backwards so when people give me the credit for it, I can shine the light on the real person it came from it and say, Oh, that's that's actually not a me thing. I actually got that from Todd Suckerman and he talked about getting it from Vinnie Calliuda and Joel Rosenblatt and they got it from Tony Williams. And there's a whole history to everything we play.
0: Yeah, that's what's so cool about drummers is we give credit. You know, when I rip off Mike Johnston, I tell people, no, 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 I I totally stole this lick from Mike Johnston. Whereas, you know, I've said this a million times, guitar players go, no, I invented that last night in my bedroom. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's called the pentatonic scale. Made it up. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh,
0: That's mine.
1: Yeah. And I think what, what is cool is when we do give the credit, we're witness to the fact that whoever we're telling that to doesn't look at us with disdain. They don't look down on us. Like we're not as cool as they thought we were. Everything's fine. They just go like, Oh, that's awesome. And it's like, Hey, maybe, maybe through my playing, I can turn you on to someone that you would never have found on your own. I cannot just assume that the average 17 year old drummer is going to show up at a six concert and see Todd Suckerman play, you know? So it's like, well, yeah. I don't want you to be 17 and not know who Todd Suckerman is. So I'm going to show him to you. and This is his DVD and I hope you buy it. It's called methods and mechanics. This is part one. Here's part two. And, you know, it's like, but at no point does the student ever go, oh, cool. I don't need you anymore. Right. You know, that never happens. They always go, oh, thanks for showing that to me. And it's left at that. And, you know, I think once you come to terms with the fact that it doesn't deval- devalue you just to give credit to somebody else, that's, uh, you know, that's when it's kind of cool. And I mean, going all the way back to the business stuff and the, the question you asked about seeing, you know, these new versions or even variations of what I started, it's most of people, most of those people are very kind and just saying like, yeah, man, I, I was a student of yours like eight years ago and I grew up on this stuff or I saw some of your YouTube videos and it's like, cool. And none of your students are going to leave you just because the fact that you said you were influenced by someone else. It's okay. Yeah, They're not studying with you because they thought you invented the drum set. They're studying with you because they like who you are as a person and they click with you and they connect with you. So it's okay to show them other people.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's just a great point. And, you know, I mean, I think, one of the things that I've always wanted to do with the Drum Shuffle podcast and, and we're still a fairly new show, you know, we're a, a year old or so. But one of the things that I've always wanted to to try to shine a light on and you're a perfect example of this is so many drummers spend their entire career in music as a sideman or, or a side woman, mm-hmm. uh, as, as the case may be. Um, you know, we get hired by a band, we do what we're told, you know, we play the, the best we can, but we never really control our own destiny. You decided right. early on, look, you know, the, the whole tour in the world thing isn't for me. There's something more for me. Um, just Give us any bit of uh, wisdom around that, of taking the reins of your own career and being your own man.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that one quote that always sticks out to me is by Steve Jobs. And I remember, I don't know if I read it or saw it in a video interview or what, uh, but he said that everything in this world, when you look around, everything in this world was created by someone no smarter than you and no better than you. And once you realize that, your life will never be the same. And what I realized was that the only difference between myself and the people that I looked up to that had my dream gigs or my dream jobs was information. And all I needed to do was fill my head with more information and then I could do whatever I wanted. And so Once I got to that point in my mind, I just thought, okay, well, what's my plan A? And let's shelve all plan Bs. No more plan Bs, only plan A. And plan A was to have the largest impact I could over the most amount of drummers in the world. And that was it. And like I said, whether that happens through the internet or happens through books or DVDs, whatever the medium of the time is, that's what I'm going to do. And so making that decision, I mean, I guess there was some fear, but... I feel like there's not as much fear when you know you have no fallback plan because my fear isn't failure. I don't mind failing. I've failed a million times in my life. My fear is embarrassment. And I feel like plan Bs are somewhat embarrassing because someone says, oh, what are you up to? And you're like, oh, you know, I'm working at U.S. Bank now. And they're like, oh, are you not doing the drum thing anymore? That's when that embarrassment would set in. Now, that being said, Having a job so you can keep trying to do your dream, that I don't think is embarrassing whatsoever. I'd be more than happy to tell somebody that I was working at Starbucks because I'm still working towards being a full-time musician. Um, But with all that being said, I think the most important thing is figuring out what is your dream. I don't need, you know, being successful in the drum industry doesn't have to be your dream. Maybe your dream is just, to not hate yourself when you get off the drum set. It's a great dream. Like, <laughs> yeah. Go for it. Um, but yeah, as far as the business side of things and just making that decision, okay, I'm going to do this. Um, I think you just, at some point, have to go for it. You have to take, you know, we put so many, so much faith in so many other things. Every once in a while you have to put that faith in yourself.
0: Wow. That's yeah. I mean, you, you said it all right there, Mike, for sure. You know I mean? for me, and I can only take what all of my amazing guests say and apply it to my own life, right? I I try not to project on anybody else. But, you know, I am a good drummer, not a great drummer, right? And I understand that, you know, when I, at this age, if I haven't, you know, signed a big record deal and gone on world tours, it's probably not going to happen for me. It might, it might not. You know, so when I started this show, it was, what can I do to help others? Right. And I'm probably not going to do it by playing, you know, blistering fast paradiddles on the internet. There's a bunch of guys that do that already. Right. But I can bring the thought leaders of the drumming community to a podcast Um And have them talk about their life experiences and hopefully it'll inspire somebody out there, you know, and and you have that megaphone as well. You know, for those that don't know, I'll I'll give props where props are due. You co-host the Modern Drummer podcast. It's the biggest drumming podcast on earth, I would venture to guess. So, you know, talk about that responsibility. How do you see yourself in the grand scheme of things?
1: Sure. Um, well, first of all, I mean, you know it's it's funny these podcasts I, I mean I have to I don't have to, but I'm lucky enough to do these interviews quite often and it is a very awkward thing to have someone else talk about you for an hour straight. So I wanna take the chance to be like, dude, you're killing it too. I mean, I listened to your I was uh uh out just driving around town today and I was listening to your interview with Chris McHugh and you're fantastic at your job and you did what I think a podcast an interview based podcast is supposed to do, which is, can I please just get to know this person a little bit? Like, and when I was, when I got out of the car, I felt like if I ran into Chris McHugh at Nam or, or some, or if I was doing a, 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 a clinic in Nashville, I feel like I kind of have a sense of who he is as a person. And you brought that out of him by not just running the lines of stale question after stale question. So, uh, props to you, man, for doing this. Well, and, uh, th- thank you. I, I think it's really cool.
0: I'm certainly no journalist, but, you know, the, the way I uh, approach this is, quite honestly, what would the 13-year-old Jamie, who just got his first drum set, if he was hearing an interview with Mike Johnston, Chris McHugh, Peter Erskine, whomever, what would that very young drummer want to know? And for me, it was Absolutely. always, what makes these guys tick? not how did you play the fill at two minutes and seven seconds so that's that
1: didn't i mean that stuff is so you know and i think we already have a forum for that i mean that's what youtube does it breaks things down but that's always been the same thing for me even when i get a new teacher especially if it's somebody and i'll I'll definitely get back to answering your question about the responsibility but when i get a new teacher because i still take lessons the one thing I have to remind them is like, please don't teach me from where you are now because I'm not where you are now. Teach me what you were doing when you were 25 because that's closer to the level that I'm at right now. So who were you listening to when you were 25 you know, or 15 years ago or 20 years ago? Um, what were you into? What were you dissecting? Who were you breaking down? You have to go back in time and teach me like that because that's where I am right now. So please don't, whatever you're into right now, I promise it's beyond me. So you got to go back in time. And so I, I love asking drummers, like, don't tell me what you're listening to now. What did you listen to when you were 15? Like who was your first favorite band? Who was your first favorite drummer? Because that gives me insight into who you are as a person that to me makes up your drumming DNA. I always say that my drumming DNA is a mix between Phil Collins, Abe Cunningham from the Deftones, Mike Borden from faith no more. And Will Kennedy. It's a mix of those things. So it's like I'm playing fusion stuff while cracking cymbals, uh, while wishing it all had some in-the-air-tonight fill that everyone could do on their steering wheel, and that's what makes my drumming DNA. And then that mixed with my own personality it becomes me. So those, I think what you do and how you pull it out of people is amazing. It's really good. Um, now to your question about the responsibility, Yeah, when you put yourself out there as an educator, you have a responsibility on so many levels because what you do and how you play it, if you say this is a paradiddle, it's the paradiddle to whoever you taught it to. They're not going to go and do more research. So when you get something wrong, now you've created a couple thousand people running around their towns, playing something wrong, calling it the wrong thing. So there's a massive responsibility as a like a global educator and it also causes you to have to be okay with saying, Hey, to be honest, I actually don't know. I'm (laughs) I'm sure I'm not going to tell you the wrong version of it because you're going to spread that around and say that you got it from me. So I have to, I have to be very careful with that stuff. As far as being, you know, starting a podcast, I think we're, you know, we're two and a half years deep into it. And, uh, with that, all we're trying to do, is I think what any good drumming podcast is trying to do is let the people that play this instrument know we've got your back, man. We're all in this together. I promise you whatever self doubt you have on the kit right now, the top pros in the world have that same thing going through their head. Um, You know, I was actually talking to a friend today that came by the studio and he's not a musician and he was trying to, he's going to start his own podcast on um, he's actually a rabbi. So he's going to start a podcast on Judaism And he was just asking me technical aspects of the whole thing. And we were hanging out and uh, we were just talking about self-doubt and all of that stuff and talking yourself out of self-doubt. And I was just letting him know, like, man, what happens is because he was thinking, but you've been on the cover of magazines and you, you know, you're a professional drummer. Like, you still doubt yourself? And I'm like, it gets worse. What (laughs) happens is the better you get, the more acute you can hear how bad you are. So it doesn't get better. It gets worse. Like obviously if I was to compare my drumming now to a 20 year old version of me, it's far superior. But the problem is I'm not that 20 year old kid anymore. I'm an advanced player that can hear the inconsistencies between two notes and I can hear the time shift between one measure and another. So Whatever a, a new drummer is going through mentally with the struggles of this instrument, that really never goes away. The only thing that happens is you become better at dealing with it and you understand the emotional roller coaster you're going to go on. But you also know there's this moment where it all clicks and all of your muscles relax and you're playing and you're not singing to yourself right, left, kick, right, left, kick, right, left, right, left, kick. You're just playing. <laughs> yeah. And it's flowing out of you and you just. I mean, that is, in golf, that is a perfect drive. You didn't feel the ball. You didn't feel the club. And it just sailed out in front of you, dropped right in the middle of the fairway. And you're like, if I could recreate that, I'd be on the PGA Tour. And that's that's why we keep coming back at this, is you just keep chipping away one note at a time. And then all of a sudden, boom, perfect drive. The ball just sails out. And you go, okay, cool. I got it. And if I can get this, I can get anything.
0: Yeah. For sure, man. I mean, you know...
1: Now, I, now it, I'm all fired up. with w- what you did.
0: Well, good. I mean, that's great. You turn on the camera quick. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> let's do it. Motivate. Um, you know, one of the cool things that I got to do in 2018 um, is... Uh, Back in 1998, the band that, you know, my forever band or what I thought would be my forever band, we recorded a a record self-produced and we got lots of attention and everything. And we decided that we were going to remix it. Right. And and just kind of make it sound more modern. Um, But we decided we were not going to fix anything. And listening to Jamie play the drums from 20 years ago. Man, you want to talk about one of the best lessons in the world, right? I mean, oh,
1: I can't even imagine, uh,
0: you know, I can't mean, even imagine. Th- there were some moments when I went, you know, I, I didn't play that half bad. And then there were others where, right. you know, you just put your hands uh, over your eyes and everybody in the room's like, what's wrong? Did you not hear that fill? And they were like, oh, it was great. And I was like, no, it, it was most decidedly not great. <laughs> right. You know, so like, oh, God. that's what's Absolutely. so that's what's so cool about recording and and having these things that stick around forever is you can always go back and revisit and see where you were.
1: Yeah, and you know, I'm very happy that we you, me, the whole drum industry, we are involved in something which is art and art doesn't have a finish line. We don't get to win. We don't get a trophy at the end. Like, okay, you're the best. It'll never get any better than this. Every day I'm striving for something better than the day before. And that's why I'm still playing and I'm never satisfied is because I'm, I'm just not close. There is no finish line. I always want to be better. And there will be a day where my body will physically start to break down. And on that day, I hope I start making better choices dynamically and I make better musical choices maybe I can't play the chops I used to play but it, I'm becoming you know like a pitcher who doesn't have a fastball anymore I become more crafty on the instrument and it never ever ends and I, I love listening to old stuff you know I, I was uh, when I was recording at that same time that you were recording um, my producer said you know what I don't think you're quite understanding the (laughs) role of a drummer and I'm going to set you up with some private lessons. We're going to take two days off from recording and you're going to have private lessons um, at this studio with Steve Ferroni. And I was like, okay, I don't know who that is, but whatever. And so he set me up with private lessons. All I knew is he was the dude from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I was like, oh God, that sounds horrible. I mean, at that time I had piercings everywhere, shaved head. I definitely did not want to be hanging out with the drummer from the average white band. So sat down with Steve. Didn't you know? Didn't know him. And he said, "Okay, why don't you play me the demos that you guys are working on?" playing them over the PA, and he asked me to play. They were drumless. He asked me to play along to it. And I won't fake his accent. But he was like, "Do you listen to your band at all?" And I was like, "Honestly, if they would stop." everyone else could hear what I'm really doing. Yeah, And he's like, yeah, like your drum parts aren't even related to the song. I'm like, yeah, but they're cool. Right. And I mean, (laughs) I was so young and so cocky and just had no clue the role of a drummer. And what's funny is like, he then said, okay, play it back for me again. Uh, And he got on the kit, played back the tune. And he laid down just the most basic four, four groove. And what's funny is, the song sounded amazing. It was like the song opened up and I was like, Oh my gosh, I can hear the vocals. I can hear the guitar. I can hear everything. And because of my mindset, I was like, that is horrible. That's stupid. Like what drummer would want to listen to that? I was trying to, and it was such a huge turning point in my life when I finally could look back on that. But I was trying to impress the four drummers in the crowd instead of the 4,000 people that liked music. Yeah, And That was, a you know, and now when I listen back to those same recordings, I'm like, I hear them the way he heard it. I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? Like, how could I have thought that that was okay? And I I literally just want to write my guitarist, who still to this day hates me, a letter and just say, just so you know, I get it. I really (laughs) totally understand why we didn't get along. I'm so sorry that I did that to all your beautiful guitar parts. (laughs) I'm a terrible human being. Uh, So and that's part of the growth. You know, you look back on it and you go, "Okay, I I would hate to look back on something and go, wow, that was the best I ever was. That means I stopped growing. That's a terrible thing. I I always want to look back and go, I don't want to ever hear that again, because that means I'm currently further along than I was then.
0: Yeah man that's and you know we could talk an hour about Steve Ferroni. I mean what a monster mm-hmm. that guy is. And but yeah. you know it, it's sometimes you need that wily old veteran to say, "No no no son, let me let me show you what's really up here." You know. So Yeah,
1: you know and I was bummed that I wasn't able to take advantage of it in the moment, but I'm so happy that I finally got it. What would be really sad if it, it w- would be, if it was 20 years later and I still felt the same way. I'm glad that I'm embarrassed of how I felt at that moment. I actually got to, I did an autograph signing with him at the Gretsch booth and Nam like two or three years ago. And I hadn't seen him since. So he obviously wouldn't have remembered me because it was only two days in his life 20 years ago. But I got to tell him that whole story. And he said, uh, um, he's like, Hmm. And, uh, and when I said, uh, Oh, I told him everything. And he said, he said, so what did I tell you? And I said, uh, you said it sounded like SH. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, well then it probably did. And he's like, and he's like, do you agree now? And I go, yeah, I do. And he's like, and now you're standing here signing autographs with me. So it must've worked. And I was like, he like took credit for my whole career from those two days, but I kind of felt like, yeah, you're kind of right, man. I mean, I mean, it's funny. I've been telling that story for 20 years now because it was that moment that someone was in the room and was far superior to me on this instrument and had enough confidence to tell me the truth. You know, I was in a, I was in a, a record deal world where everybody, no matter what you did, they go, Oh, it's brilliant, man. Oh, kids are going to love that stuff. You know? And then this one guy was like, that's horrible. What are you doing? And so, I'm really happy that I had Steve to be able to do that and uh, and now to be at some weird place where I can do an autograph signing with him instead of just waiting in line for his autograph. That's crazy.
0: That's powerful stuff, man. Um, Mike, I want to be respectful of your time, but as you know, our tradition here on the Drum Shuffle, you get to summarize your life's work into a good piece of advice for everybody. No pressure, right? Um, share with, with no pressure at all, <laughs> share with us a good piece of advice that, uh, other musicians, other drummers can take out there in our day-to-day life.
1: Yeah, I think the key is patience with yourself. Uh, the, the advice I'm going to give you that'll help you with this is based off of Instagram. When you scroll through Instagram, if you're a, a drummer, most likely you're following a lot of other drummers, and you might not be aware of how much following those drummers is adding to your own self doubt, your own depression on the drum set. Because as you scroll through, it's, you followed everyone that is so far superior to you that you are telling yourself that that's the norm because it's all you see. This drummer's better than you, that drummer's better than you, that drummer's four years old, and she's better than you. And that's all your feed is. So my advice to you is go through and find two or three drummers that actually do inspire you, that every time you see them play or every time you hear them speak, it actually makes you want to play the kit. Mute the other ones. Mute the ones that are making you feel horrible about yourself and instead replace them with things that are truly inspirational. Find architecture that's inspirational. Find athletes that are achieving things with their body that you could never dream of and that'll inspire you on the drums find another hobby. For me, it's photography and video. I follow tons of cinematographers and the things they post are just so wonderfully creative. They make me want to go play the drum set. My Instagram feed for myself, as I scroll through is 99% things that truly inspire me on the instrument.
0: Man, that's great advice because I, you know, look, marco miniman blows my mind mike mangini blows my mind but Mm -hmm. if i try to do what they're doing it's just going to be a miserable failure because i can't most people can't do what those guys do right so i i think that's great advice you know try to find something that truly inspires
1: yeah, I mean, if you can turn that scrolling part of your day into something that actually kicks you off of that platform because it's so inspirational, then, then, then you've done a good thing for yourself. And, uh, even if you have to mute me, if I'm one of the people that do that <laughs> to you, then that's fine. I mean, hopefully I inspire you, but if I don't, that's fine. Um, but I think that that's something that needs to change is, you know, we've, we've created, we've cultivated this little collection of the greatest freak shows on the planet. And then we're telling ourselves that that's the norm. That's not the norm. That's one in a million. You just got out of all the millions, you got all the ones and you've turned into 20 people in a row that are just dominating this instrument. And so, like I said, I mean, I've got, The only drummers I really follow um, that I haven't muted are the people that I'm either truly friends with, Carter McClain, Ash Stone, Mark Juliana, or the people where their playing truly gets me on the kit. Dave Weckl is one that, even though he's so far superior to anything I'll ever be, there's something about his playing that actually doesn't defeat me. It makes me want to play. And so I have a few drummers that I follow, but for the most part, most of my feed is non-drummers. It's just things that get me inspired about life and drumming.
0: That's fantastic, man. Mike, it, it goes without saying, we got to have you back. Um, ladies and gentlemen, oh, it's, yeah, it's Mike'sLessons.com. Mike, if you don't mind, uh, wrap us up here. Tell us when you're doing the next drum camp and when registration opens and all that good stuff.
1: Absolutely. So the drum camps start in May of this year. We're doing 10 of them, and they sold out in about 35 minutes. Yeah, All so. of them. Too Sorry late. About that <laughs> but you can get on the waiting list and honestly when it comes time to pay uh, the final balance there are always a few people that just for whatever reason can't make it and so we usually have a nice waiting list and quite a few people each year get in uh, the other thing that's is happening is coming up in March I'm doing a camp a two-day camp here at the Microsoft.com studio with Adobe they'll be attending the camp and we're doing a two-day camp on how to make better videos so if you're a drummer, even not a drummer that just is getting really into the video world and wanting to make better videos and better content for yourself, that's a camp that you can just email amber at mikeslessons.com about. There's only eight spots for that.
0: That's fantastic. And I will give a plug to Adobe right now. The drum shuffle (laughs) is completely done in Adobe Audition each week. All of my editing, everything is done in Adobe products because I can't afford pro tools. So <laughs> Nice. with that being nice, said, uh, Mike, man, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate Jamie, it. Thank you, buddy. We will get you back on here real soon. Have a fantastic 2019 and we'll talk to you uh, here in just a few months. You as well, brother. All right. Thanks, man. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for episode 56 of the Drum Shuffle. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. We simply cannot put on this show without every one of you listening every single week. We really do appreciate it. As always, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen in. You are not going to want to miss some of the episodes that we have coming up. Next week, I am going to be joined by one of the premier music publicists in the world, Chris DiGirolamo from New York City. Chris is just a fantastic guy, and uh, we've worked together quite a bit since I've started the Drum Shuffle, so I'm really happy to have Chris coming on the show to kind of give us some behind the scenes uh, looks at what he does helping musicians get publicity and doing their public relations work. So, you're not going to want to miss that episode. So, hit that subscribe button. Of course, we always love hearing from each and every one of you throughout the week. Uh, the Drum Shuffle Podcast at gmail.com is our email address, the Drum is our web address. Uh, and you can find more information on me over at jamieeds.com. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. So until next time, may your heads stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody.